Sex Without Fear. I was just researching for the podcast that I want to do on T-Pain and his obsession with his daughter's hymen. And I just got like so overwhelmed with anger because there's so many points that I want to make. And sometimes I feel like listeners have to do a lot of catching up before I can get to the topics that I want. And then I get overwhelmed and then I take a pause and decide to talk on something else. So that's where I'm at today. But I guess my T-Pain episode will come soon. I just T-Pain, no, T-I. They're all blending in together for me, these rapper names. The reason that T-I keeps coming up for me, though, is they keep bringing it up in the media and Red Table Talk just did an episode with him where they like revisited the topic of his obsession on his daughter's hymen. And I guess I just relate to his daughter's shame. And so I keep wanting to do a podcast on it and then keep pulling back because it's her that we're talking about. But I really want to do an educational piece on the hymen soon. But today I am going to talk on one that has actually been done for a while, but I need to get this one put in... um shareable blog and meme form so that it can be easily shared. This one is going to be on the topic of presenting child sexual abuse topics to children. Like how are we supposed to talk about the scary danger of sexual assault on children to our children? Um, This is a really hard thing, which is why I'm talking about it, I guess. I was a young parent and I was fresh out of my own childhood sexual trauma. So I was kind of approaching parenthood with the realization that I knew a lot of what I didn't want to do or I didn't want to happen, but I was feeling really lost on like the replacement solutions for all these hard topics. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? What is my house supposed to look like? And the talk about how to prevent sexual abuse was very hard for me when it came to my kids because it's something that I'm talking about all the time for myself and what I wish would have happened or what went wrong that led to it. And then I found myself like really scared when it came to my kids, like of all things, like they can't be sexually abused in their childhood. Like I'm going to do everything I can to prevent this. And because it was my own trauma, I kind of became obsessed. So obviously, I've spent a lot of years in therapy. And I feel like whenever I approached this fear with the therapist of like, what what do I say to my kids? How do I talk to them about this? I was really kind of given like kind of the generic discussions with it. I just wanted to know how to talk to them so that they were prepared, but in a way that didn't traumatize them in the world that they live in, right? Even though that the world that they live in is this bad. And I just felt really lost. And it's one that people often ask me is like, how do I talk to my kids about this? Like, I hear you talking and I want to help the situation. How do I help save the next generation, including my own, right? So I've remained kind of lost in it, but what I've come to realize is that while all sex crimes against children are preventable, they will not all be prevented even with educated and attentive parents. 
but we do have the tools that will help lower your child's vulnerability to these type of crimes. So something that I've kind of come to realize is that the only children who are getting molested are children who are in vulnerable positions, whether it's temporary or permanent, right? I'm not just talking about at-risk children. I'm talking about the child who was left alone with a trustworthy babysitter. They have now become in a vulnerable state because they are away from you. And this conversation, I guess, is coming from the perspective that the child is not being sexually abused by you, the parent, right? But as long as a child is in a vulnerable state, the possibility of sexual abuse happening is possible. Uh, in my last podcast, I talked about the six types of abusers and how it's not just pedophiles. In fact, it's usually not pedophiles as in people attracted to children who are molesting our children. It is usually um, the other five types of abusers, which are children who were victims themselves and are now reciprocating behavior. Um, it's opportunist uh, people going through a hard time or somebody being put in a position of opportunity. They were changing a child's diaper and they chose to take a photo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that being said, all child sex crimes are preventable, but they're consistently going to happen because our children have to be put in positions of vulnerability from time to time. Um, so what do we do in that world of like, well, my child is going to be at risk of sexual abuse no matter how educated I am, um, unless they are with me at all times for the first 18 years of their life and they never leave my sight and I make sure of it. Otherwise, they live in this real world and just as likely as they are to be robbed or whatever, they could be sexually abused. So that's when I decided like they just couldn't be unaware of that. No, I don't want them to think that they live in a world where everybody is ready to rob them at any time. But I'm certainly going to make them aware that like, and I am not victim blaming, but rather... <laughs> If you're vulnerable, you need to be aware that you're vulnerable and children can't be aware that they're vulnerable. So how do I talk about them so that they're prepared, but they're not traumatized, right? So we do have tools that will help lower your child's vulnerability, which ultimately will lower the risk, right? So often many of us who are seeking this are given the suggested phrase of good touch, bad touch and secret touch. And some of us, if we have more progressive therapists, have maybe been given the the secret touch, even though in the old school was good touch, bad touch. Secret touch is kind of the third one that's been thrown in um, in the last however many years. And we've kind of been given this kind of generic phrase, right? But both of these phrases are kind of lacking something that's all too common. And the reality that molestation isn't even as clear as bad, good, or secret it's more confusing and complex than this, but I still think that this is kind of a great start. So if you haven't been presented with this conversation already, I still recommend this structure no matter what age you're at with your child. Uh, but I do want to present and expand on some other family tools to prevent child sexual abuse. But I will get into the bad and good and secret touch in this because I do, like I said, I do think it's a good one to start with. 
So the first way that I want to um, encourage you to present this with your kids is first off, if they are presenting the conversation of anything, uh, then they are prepared to talk about it. If a child can ask, they can handle the answer. It's on you to present the answer in a way that is suited for your child. But mostly at any age, I just encourage you to ask, just ask questions. What do you think about that? If they come to you and say, what are condoms for? Ask them what they think condoms are for and kind of go for there from there. But with anything, I would just always ask your child a lot of questions and listen and don't ask leading questions as in, do you think someone touched you? Please do not start with that question and plant ideas. Um, Yes, the reality that children can run with something and make something up, not knowing the consequences is very real. And we want to try to avoid that, even though I believe most children who say they've been abused. But let's not plant seeds, okay? But let's ask questions. Let's listen. Let's open the conversation, right? The second thing that I really think is important is that you teach children proper terms for their anatomy. Yes, you have a vagina, but what is a vagina and what is a vulva and what are all of those things? Uh, This starts at diaper age, you know, presenting the right terms, not giggling. And this is important to normalize, but it's also important because if a child is sexually abused, there are cases where things are thrown out because the child didn't use the right word. Stick to the words. Uh, Proper anatomy matters and you normalizing that and presenting it like it's telling kids what kind of food they're eating is the way to go about that. The balance of that is also telling them that there is an area that should not be touched. And that is your bathing suit area. And this is hard because the hippie mom in me really wants to normalize nudity and normalize your body and not telling them, not shaming their parts or even shaming what they will eventually be using them for, or what they're used for now, or them even exploring their own body. But it's very important that they understand that in the outside world, and even in our home, that there's a bathing suit area. Uh, Obviously, that's different for boys and girls, right? And that it's just not okay for anybody to be looking or touching or talking about any of those areas. And really, we should be respecting that of other people, too. We aren't going to touch other people's bathing suit areas. And we're not going to talk about other people's bathing suit areas. So that's a really good defining area for kids to understand where that area is, right? Because they know where their bathing suit touches. So... Back to the good touch, bad touch, secret touch. This is something that if you haven't been presented with, I'm just going to go through it the way that my therapist presented it. From the time that children are born, the idea that there's a good touch and bad touch is very obvious. And sometimes we even use those words when they go to pet a cat. We tell them good touch. When they go to play with a baby, we take their hand and touch softly and we teach them not to hit. It's good touches. We hug and that's a good touch. And we really emphasize on the good when we find that they are doing anything good with their body. They are hugging. 
they are touching a baby softly, whatever. The thing to focus with that is that good touch is always good if it is consented for, right? So we always need to ask before we get a hug. We need to ask our friend if they want to be hugged. Uh, we need grandma to ask them if they want to be hugged. Um, so good touch is good and you teach all of what a good touch is, but we always make sure that the person is okay with being touched. And then we have bad touch and bad touch is never welcome, right? We never hit our friends. We never bite. We never shove. And we can teach that from day one. And we, we learn bad touch is different for each thing, right? Like we can teach them that you can touch my feet, but you don't touch the dog's feet because a dog is unpredictable or whatever, right? Boundaries with bad touch. We just don't do it, whatever that may be. And then we used to throw sexual touch into that, but it's kind of a gray area and it deserves its own. So they threw in secret touch. And the reason that this is important is because um, people who prey on children or have opportunistically touched a child or want to or whatever, they use the manipulation tool of secrets, right? We can keep a secret. Um, Secrets are not safe. We don't do secrets. Me and my kids, secrets are not cool. Secrets don't make friends. Secrets are not cool. We don't do it. Um, If an adult or anyone has asked you to keep a secret, if anyone has told you to go to a secret place, if anyone has told you that these are secret parts, if anyone has told you this is your secret game, secret and understanding all the other words that sound like secret, teaching your child that if people are asking them to be sneaky, they are leading them to do something unsafe. And I think what's like really important is to not group this in the same way that children are going to naturally have secrets, you know, make sure that you're reserving the drama for the ones that matter. So make sure that when you're telling your kids not to keep secrets, they aren't going to put the birthday present secret in the same category as you know, uncle taking them into a secret room and, you know, like it's hard to get through all those things to your child, but having these conversations over time is what's key. Uh, the idea that we have one single talk with their child before we send them off is hopefully completely outdated. And, you know, this is the generation that will be talking to their children every day, but keeping that open so that they can have a continual understanding of, good touch, which is consensual touch and bad touch, which is unwanted touch and secret touch, which is the depths of secret, right? Teaching them that it's okay to say no and consent, what consent looks like at every age and how you teach that is really important. So like I had touched on before with the grandma hug, Telling your child, oh, come on, just hug grandma, give her love before you go, is really is setting the tone for making them think that they can't say no later. And I I can attest to this. I am such a people pleaser that that was definitely projected on me as a child. 
I did not feel like I could say no. So teaching them that they can say no is really giving them permission to not hug grandma. It really is teaching them to touch their, um, trust their, their gut. Back to secrets, talking about secrets, secrets with adults and other children, um, just, you know, keeping that aware and building a relationship with your child where they know that like there are no secrets between you, but that you can keep their secrets. Um, and that's really hard when you have like the other parent possibly being uh, a predator. It's hard because this this podcast is for hopefully a safe parent. <laughs> uh, that's all all I can say on that. Um, reassuring them that they and the other person won't get in trouble. And the reason that is important to just sort of fib a little bit and say the other person won't get in trouble or at least deter from that part of the conversation, just assure them that, you know, this is not going to be a mess. You can tell me anything um, and we'll get through it the way that you and I decide is best to go through with it. Like I'm going to let you lead the way and I will protect you. Um, because often they are not going to tell because they are afraid they will be in trouble or they believe that they're, uh, the person doing it will be in trouble. And even if the person doing it will be in trouble and should be in trouble, I think it's important to, if your child is having that anxiety, recognize it and, and do the fibbing that you need to do to get them safe. Um, following good behavior leaks into good sexual behavior. Um, what they mean by that is being a good role model in all ways, uh, so that being good is virtuous and that they can trust your judgment. So showing them that being good and respecting people's boundaries in all ways and how that benefits you and the person long-term is how they are going to later recognize that respecting people's sexual boundaries will lead to a good and healthy sex life and a happy self and all of those things. Kids who don't have good behavior models in general and kids who just aren't being taught any sort of virtuous behavior at all, as in, and I don't mean that as in like a, any sort of stereotype virtuousness. I mean, your own personal virtuousness. I'm sure we all want children who are kind and not bullies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if your child is already struggling with that, chances are they're going to struggle with like the sexual impulses because that can fall into some of the other type of sexual predators that we talk about in the other uh, podcasts and blogs. So that means also being a good role model with sexual behavior. That means letting them see you ask and receive consent with your partner with things and like, and asking your friends if you can hug them before you do and teaching them how to do those things because they need to know how serious you are. Because if you kind of ignore those things, then when it comes to that personal moment where they have to make choices or somebody is doing something to them, they may just shrug it off as like, well, those were just sort of social norms that mom kind of cares about sometimes, but not really. You really have to be a role model in all ways as a parent. And this leads into, I think, making sure that children don't become rapists and making sure that we're creating a generation where children aren't being raped, right? So 
my children are younger. They're going to be six and nine. They're boys. Um, so I feel like I've gone over a lot of what to do with like younger kids with my own therapists and such, but I really wanted to look into the teens because for one, I'm, my circle is getting older children around and my children are getting older, but two, maybe some of you listeners have teens out there. And my hope is that these conversations have already been evolving between you and your teens. Uh, but maybe you haven't up to this point for whatever reasons, fear, anxiety, So I kind of looked into some tips for how to present these conversations with your teens. Um, And their number one suggestion is to use their media, movies, social media. When you see something, ask them what they think about it. This goes back to the ask, ask, ask thing. Ask them. Ask them what they think and how they perceived it and how they took that in. When a TV shows a moment where clearly somebody was not consenting ask them what they thought about it see if they can point that out themselves use use their brains against them right get in there watch the things that they watch and ask them all about it teach them how to relate to those things and how to learn lessons and how to decipher whether it's right or wrong right The other tip was to share your own experiences with them, share your sexual experiences with them, share them, share with them the the story of how you learned about your body or the funny time that you learned what a condom was or whatever, but share your experiences openly and then teach them how you grew from them and how you feel differently about them now and what you would do now. Back to teaching consent, teach them that coercion is not consent. Teach them that sometimes no looks like other things. Sometimes no looks like shutting down. Sometimes no looks like not being able to say no. Sometimes no looks like shaky legs or sweating. If your partner looks uncomfortable, like teach them how to read those body signs and how to ask the right questions to make sure the person is comfortable. Teach them that erring on the safe side is what's right. That like ultimately if there's confusion and you have the option to err on the safe side, that that's what they're going to look for in court too. It's what your partner needs. And teach them that avoiding sex under the influence is really key too. That once there's um, substance involved, consent can become gray. And if you aren't experienced in sex as it is, understanding how to read body language while you're under the influence or someone else is under the influence is really going to go out the window. Talk about rape directly. Teach them what rape looks like, that it's not just knives and alleys. Talk to them about manipulation. Show them documentaries of how someone was manipulated into this and how they still love their abusers. Like show them all of the sides of rape and how ugly it is. Um, Another example that they gave was talking about caring for your friends. Teaching them to care for their friends as a way to help them kind of lead the way and giving them autonomy, but trusting them with that autonomy, but guiding them, saying like, well, you're in control, you know it's right. So care about your friends, make sure that everyone isn't leaving their drinks, make sure 
that your friends know what consent looks like, talk to them about caring about their friends because they, they will care about their friends and then that teaches them how to care about themselves too. And then lastly, be an example, which honestly, if these are topics that you can't talk about, it means that you don't understand them yourself. And that's where some self-reflection comes in. And we really need to know about rape and rape culture and how to help our kids through these things. And if you don't understand, then you're definitely not being a living example. Are you asking your friends for a hug before you go and hug them? Those little things. We often find it hard to correct our children's behavior because we'll see it. And then our only option is to change ours with them or let them slide the way we've let ourselves slide, right? So we have to be an example. We have to talk about these topics, make space for these topics, have these conversations. If you don't want your kids to think sex is weird, then don't act like sex is weird. Um, These are all important. Also, I also want to end this reminding everybody that religious resources cannot be the only resources that you present yourself, your family, and your friends. This can often be isolating and super biased, and often they lack an education to actually properly deal with the full scope of the issue. So I have resources on my website. I will provide links, but I really encourage you to look at all resources that are available to us. It's so important that we send victims, adult or children, to medical professionals who can really assess the entire situation and make sure that they are safe from all points of view. Often the fear of hell can keep us from doing a lot. That's a whole nother podcast. But just a friendly reminder reminder that religious resources are not enough. Thank you. Please check out um, Sex Without Fear on my website, amberradical.com slash sex. Um, You can also check out my blogs, which put most of these podcasts into writing form so that you can share the main points with your friends and family. I also try to make them in shareable photos for Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, Sex Without Fear. And again, my website is www.amberradical.com. I am currently writing a book on my childhood sexual trauma in the 90s during all of the panics, including the stranger danger molestation panic. And I'm beginning my journey through midwifery school to hopefully be practicing birth work here in America and across the world. So if you would like to make a donation to the many projects, including our local rape support group, you can make a donation on my website or on my Venmo, Amber Radical. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe here and anywhere else that I listed. I'm sorry. Thank you guys for listening. I so appreciate it.